Several years ago, a handful of scientists set out to discover what happens to a person when they're immersed in total darkness. Six subjects were placed in small underground chambers with no light whatsoever. They literally could not see a hand in front of their face. One of the participants was a 30-something-year-old comedian named Adam Bloom. For two days and two nights, he sat in total darkness. The only interruption was an occasional meal slipped to him in the dark. Now, now Bloom was confident that his active and imaginative mind would, would be able to cope with the lack of sight and stimulation. But after half an hour of singing and telling jokes to himself, he, he laid down on the bed and began to ponder his situation. What if something happened to his loved ones while he was down there? Would they tell him? It didn't take long for him to begin feeling more anxious than he had ever felt before. He eventually fell asleep, but when he woke up, he had no idea what time it was or how long he'd been asleep. He thought meals would help him get oriented again, but they didn't. He soon felt lost and confused and out of touch with everything. After 18 hours, he burst into tears, crying uncontrollably. Then he got paranoid. What if the whole thing was a trick? What if they forgot about him and he was stuck down there forever? At 24 hours, he felt as though his brain was falling asleep. He literally couldn't think straight. At 30 hours, he began to pace the room frantically from one end to another. After 40 hours, he began to hallucinate. He saw a pile of oyster shells glistening in the sunlight. And then, Bloom says... I felt as though the room was taking off underneath me. I realized that the lack of stimulation was driving me to insanity. I felt nothing but numbness, as though I was losing the will to live. I don't know about you, but right now I'm getting a little anxious just thinking about that bunker. Well, Bloom managed to make it to the 48-hour mark, but then tapped out. And tests taken immediately afterward revealed a marked impairment in his ability to reason, to remember, and to distinguish reality from fantasy. And similar experiments over the years have yielded similar results. It seems that in the dark, human beings don't just lose their bearing, they can lose their minds and even their souls. All of which makes us pay a bit more attention when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Well, we're in week three of our series exploring the I am statements of Jesus. Seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus very intentionally declares himself, assigning a name to his identity and mission. And the premise of our series is that the better we understand who Jesus is and why he came and what his life was all about, the better we understand who we are and why we're here, and what our lives are all about. So far, we've learned that if, if Jesus is the good shepherd, then we can trust him with our whole lives and even the life to come. Last week, we learned that if Jesus is the true vine, we need to remain in him and bear the fruit of sacrificial love. Well, today, we'd like to discover what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world. Now, none of us are planning on stepping into a darkened bunker for 48 hours. But every day, we step into a world that's darker than we might realize. 
dark enough for us to lose our way and, and maybe our souls. Now, interestingly, this is the only I am statement Jesus makes on two separate occasions, and we're going to look at both of them. Now, let's begin in John chapter 8, where we read, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's a pretty bold and dramatic declaration, but it becomes even more dramatic when we understand the setting in which he made it. Back in chapter 7, we learn that Jesus was attending the Feast of Tabernacles, which took place in Jerusalem every fall. It was a celebration of the harvest, and it took place around the autumn equinox, as the shortening days gave way to longer nights. Uh, the equinox marks that moment when daylight and darkness are of equal length. It happens twice each year. We're actually just a few days away from the spring equinox on March 20th. And we look forward to that one because from that point on, the days become longer than the nights. In fact, we're so excited about it, we help it along by setting our clocks ahead to give us an extra hour on top of that. But the autumn equinox has the opposite effect. From that point on, the nights and the darkness become longer than the days. And that made life especially challenging in the ancient world, uh, where there was no artificial light by which to live or work or play. And once the sun went down, it was dark, and everything became more difficult and more dangerous. Uh, no street lights to help you find your way home at night or to discourage robbers from lurking in the shadows. No flipping a household switch for light to cook by or clean by or put the kids to bed by. No, no flashlights or smartphones to, to, to light up a dark room or let you read under the covers. Except for the limited and labor-intensive light of torches and candles, people were literally in the dark for a good portion of their day. And the autumn equinox meant it was only going to get darker. So in the face of that increasing darkness, on the first night of the feast, a ceremony would unfold in one of the temple courtyards. Vats of oil would be set atop four 75-foot towers in the courtyard. At the appointed time, after sundown, priests would climb the ladders and simultaneously light the giant lamps. The light was so bright, it was said to have illumined every courtyard in Jerusalem. And the people would celebrate with singing and dancing, acknowledging the light of God's presence in the temple, and looking forward to the day when God's light would shine on the whole world. Well now, picture Jesus at the height of that celebration, standing in the courtyard and announcing, I am the light of the world. In other words, I am the light you're celebrating tonight. I'm the light that's illuminating the city. I'm the light that will one day overcome the darkness of this world. Now, when he gave himself that name, Jesus was tapping into one of the most familiar and revered images for God in the Hebrew scriptures. It was such an outrageous claim that when the religious leaders heard him, they said, 
Who do you think you are? So let's step back for a moment and consider what Jesus was saying about himself when he made that declaration. What does it teach us about who Jesus is and why he came and what his life was about? As I I turn this metaphor over in my mind, which is what you're supposed to do with metaphors, it occurred to me that light has three functions that seem relevant to our conversation today. First, light reveals things. Light reveals the reality of our situation, what's going on around us. To a child in a dark bedroom, that shadowy shape in the corner is a monster coming to get him. Turn the light on, and it's a pile of dirty clothes thrown over a chair. Make your way across an unfamiliar room in the dark, and you're slow and tentative and and sure to crack your shin on a coffee table. Turn the light on, and you're across the room in no time, with no bruises. Light reveals the truth about life, about the world, about ourselves. We describe the world before science as the dark ages, because there was so much we didn't know. When we don't understand something, we say we're in the dark about it. When we want to understand something, we say, can you shine a little light on the subject? And when we finally get it, we say, a light bulb went off for me. Light reveals truth and reality. It reveals the path before us, the choices we need to make. Now, a week or so ago, Aaron Rodgers spent four days in a dark room trying to decide if he's going to keep on playing football or not. Now, as of this recording, he still hasn't made his announcement, so I'm not sure how helpful it's been. And let's remember that he's also advocated psychedelic drugs and magic mushrooms, so I'm not sure he's the poster boy for wise decision-making. Generally speaking, the more light we can throw on a situation, the better decisions we make. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's identifying himself as a source of wisdom and truth, someone who can help us make sense of the world around us, who can guide us through dark and difficult seasons of our lives. Those giant lamps that illumined the city during the feast, they were meant to remind the people of the pillar of fire that guided them through the wilderness and led them to the promised land. It's in the same way Jesus is inviting us to follow him through the wilderness of this world. Are you facing a big decision these days? Do you feel like you're stumbling your way through life, feeling lost and bruising your shins in the process? Why not invite Christ to shine a little light on the path before you? Your word is a light to my, your word is a lamp to my feet the psalmist tells us and a light on my path Spend some time in the scriptures lay it out in prayer invite a few godly people to speak into your life ask yourself what Jesus might do if he were in your shoes right now light reveals things 
Well, secondly, light produces life. Light produces life. Just about every living thing requires light to survive and to thrive. Plants, animals, human beings. Now, you can find creatures that live in the dark, the bottom of the ocean or the depths of a cave, but they're probably not creatures you want to spend any time with. Let's say you're walking across a field and you come across a, a piece of board that's been lying there for a while. Kick it over and there's darkness underneath. Black dirt and, and creeping things scurrying for cover. But leave that patch exposed to sunlight for just a few days and something green will spring up in that place. Every theory of Earth's origins involves light breaking into the darkness, sunlight fueling photosynthesis, lightning bolts releasing phosphorus and sparking amino acids that produce this thing called life. Which, of course, is, is exactly what Genesis tells us. In the beginning, darkness was upon the face of the deep. Darkness is the default setting of the world. But then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Life began with light. Not just biological life, but spiritual life too. Centuries later, John tells us what was going on back then. In the beginning was the Word, he says. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all humankind. Spiritual life, the life of the mind, the life of the soul, also began with that light. The light that Jesus would one day bring into the world personally and make available to us through faith in him. There's a lot of darkness in the world today. Violence, injustice, poverty, oppression. I read an article by Ross Douthat in the Times a couple of weeks ago. He was considering the, the mental health crisis in our culture today, especially among young people. Sociologists and psychologists have traced it to a variety of sources. The rise of social media, the, the isolation of COVID, fear for the future of our planet. Dothit acknowledges all of these culprits, but he also dares to mention the secularization of society the disappearance of Judeo-Christian values, honesty, humility, sexual morality, love for the other. No wonder the world feels so dark. And maybe there's darkness in your life today. Sadness or loss, depression, despair. Maybe like Adam Bloom in that underground bunker, you, you can feel anxiety rising in your chest. You find yourself running frantically from one thing to another just to escape the dark thoughts that won't leave you alone. What would it look like to invite the light of Christ into your life, into your world? What peace and hope and comfort might that light bring? Our life group was studying Ephesians 5 just last night, where, where Paul shines a light on the moral and spiritual darkness that was so prevalent in, in Greco-Roman culture. 
He writes, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Sounds kind of familiar. When we cut ourselves off from the light and life of Christ, we find ourselves stumbling around in the dark, crashing into furniture, hurting ourselves and others in the process. What are we doing to ourselves and to our children? A few verses later, he reminds those believers and us, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Life is so much better in the light. Are you living in the light of God's goodness and truth and beauty these days? What would it look like to invite the light of Christ into your life and relationships and world today? Well, light reveals things, light produces life, and thirdly, light conquers darkness. No matter how dark a room is, light always wins. No, no matter how little the light is, it still shines. It penetrates the darkness. It pushes back the shadows. It enables you to see yourself and your surroundings. And once you can see, you can, you can get your bearings. You can come up with a plan. You can address your situation. Think how different that underground chamber would have been for Adam Bloom if there'd been even a tiny window in that cell or a nightlight, or even a candle. It still would have been a lonely and limited space, but, but surely he would have found ways to cope, to comfort himself, to, to engage his environment. Surely he would have lasted more than 48 hours. When those 75-foot torches were lit on the opening night of the feast, it would have brought to mind for the people the promise of Israel's greatest prophet, Isaiah. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And when Jesus rose to his feet in that moment and said, I am the light of the world, he was declaring himself to be that great light piercing the darkness, driving away the night. However dark or difficult your circumstances might be right now, Christ is able to shine a light on them, to bring comfort and perspective and hope. Now, I haven't known a lot of darkness in my life. Christ has been with me from my earliest days. But, but, but these past few weeks have, have been strange ones for me in the aftermath of my parents' passing. As you all know, the world feels different when someone you love is no longer in it. I, I find I feel it most when I first wake up in the morning and am reminded of that reality. A couple of mornings ago, I was reading scripture in the dark. Uh, I sat for a while first watching the flames dance in the fireplace. Uh, my, my, my devotional guide had me in this very section of John. 
And after reading and some reflection, I wrote out this prayer to God. I'm in a new kind of darkness, Lord. A kind of twilight, I guess. The truths I have always known and relied on are still true, just a little harder to see. Your presence is still here, just a little harder to sense. So I'll wait patiently for dawn to come, for light to break. And I know that it will. Because light always conquers darkness. Light reveals what's true. Light brings life. When you put it all together, it means that if Christ is the light of the world, my world is brighter when he's in it. Life is so much better in the light, isn't it? When you can see where you are and where you're going, when you can make wise and informed decisions, when you can engage the people and circumstances around you, when you know that the Lord is with you. C.S. Lewis famously said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. If Christ is the light of the world, my world is brighter when he's in it. So, so having made this declaration at the Feast of Tabernacles, like any good preacher, Jesus knew he had to illustrate it, to, to show people the difference that he and his light could make in a person's life. So soon after the feast is over, according to John, Jesus finds another occasion to make this declaration about himself in an equally dramatic way. Well, let's skip ahead to the opening verses of, of chapter 9. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now we're told that the man had been blind from birth, which means that he had spent his entire life in physical darkness. Now, now we don't know the cause or the extent of his impairment, but it's clear that he had never been able to see never been able to visually engage the people and the world around him. And in the ancient world, that was an extremely challenging condition. Uh, there was no Braille alphabet to enable you to read. Uh, there were no recordings of books or music to listen to. There were no ADA laws to ensure accessibility and dignity. And as if those physical challenges weren't enough, there was also the social and spiritual stigma attached to a condition like this. It was assumed that such a person was under punishment or judgment for some offense that they or their parents had committed, as the disciples' question suggests. So a person with blindness was likely facing a social and spiritual darkness as well as a physical one. Well, the first thing Jesus does is to shed a little light on their bad theology. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. Jesus immediately puts to rest the idea that bad things happen to us as a form of punishment. 
Then he goes on to explain that he and his heavenly father can take that bad thing and do something good with it. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. There it is, the second time Jesus makes this declaration. Well, having said this, John tells us, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. He went and washed and came home seeing. I mean, what must that have been like? After a lifetime in the dark, he was suddenly able to see that the beauty of the world around him, the faces of his parents, the smile of the man standing in front of him, who called himself the light of the world. Jesus was saying to the crowd that day, this is the difference I can make in a person's life. This is the difference I can make in the world. The difference between living in the light and surviving in the dark. It was a beautiful thing Jesus did for this man. But here's the crazy thing. The religious leaders refused to accept it. They called the man in for questioning. They called his parents in for questioning. They refused to believe that it really happened. Even though everyone saw it happen. Even though the man's parents confirmed what happened. Even though the man himself told them, once I was blind, now I can see. Do you see the irony in it? These religious leaders who could see shut their eyes and chose not to see. Meanwhile, the man who previously could not see did what Jesus told him and suddenly was able to see. Just this morning, uh, the devotional I'm using for Lent pointed me to, to this painting by the artist Gustave Doré called The House of Caiaphas. It's based on this very scene from John's Gospel. Notice the light in the courtyard where Jesus is teaching. It's the brightest spot in the picture. Notice the shadows in the house where the religious leaders have gathered to critique and conspire. Notice the little bit of light finding its way from the courtyard into that room. And notice the eyes of these religious men shut tightly against the light that could change everything. The moral of this story, as one commentator puts it, is that with the availability of light, darkness is now a choice. The man who was blind chose to believe to, to chose to do what Jesus told him, and his eyes were open to a world bigger and brighter than he could ever imagine. The men who could see chose not to believe, chose darkness rather than light, shutting their eyes and their hearts to the light of life. So, so our lesson from the first text was, if Christ is the light of the world, my world is brighter when Christ is in it. And the story of the blind man is a beautiful illustration of that truth. A whole new world opened to him 
when Jesus stepped into it. But the second story illustrates the shadow side of that truth. If Christ is the light of the world, then darkness is a choice. <laughs> to be sure, light reveals things and produces life and conquers darkness, but only if you let it, only if you open your eyes and your heart to the one standing right in front of you. So what are you seeing these days? How open are you to the presence and power of Christ in your life and in the world around you? Well, we left Adam Bloom on the verge of losing his mind in that underground bunker. Somehow he survived the 48 hours of darkness. But a strange thing happened when he emerged from that darkness. <laughs> he remembered how on the way into the experiment, thinking how bleak and dreary the, the bunker looked, crumbling with age and overgrown with vines. When he stepped out of the bunker and into the sunlight, everything was changed. He says, I noticed how green the grass was, how blue the sky was, and hundreds of yellow buttercups I hadn't even noticed before. It was staggeringly beautiful. And he vowed never to look at the world in the same way again. Well, what happened to... Adam Bloom when he stepped out of that bunker and into the light? What happened to that blind man when he received the touch of Jesus on his life? It can happen to us when we allow Christ to open the eyes of our hearts to his presence and power and beauty and goodness. So, so what does all this mean for us personally, practically? Well, three possibilities come to mind. Maybe, like the man born blind, you've lived most or all of your life in spiritual darkness, not knowing or experiencing the life-giving presence of Christ in your life. Maybe you sense Him speaking to you today, offering to open the eyes of your heart for the very first time. Like Adam Bloom, you could walk out of this time and place seeing how staggeringly beautiful life can be when the light of Christ is shining into it. If Jesus is the light of the world, your world will be brighter with him in it. Or maybe, like the religious leaders of Jesus' day, you've consciously or unconsciously shut your eyes the power and presence of God in your life. Maybe it feels like old news to you and you're just not paying attention anymore. Maybe you've gotten comfortable with the darkness in your life and you'd rather not have Christ shine his light on it. Maybe you've done so much questioning and critiquing that, that you don't even feel the light shining on your face anymore. Maybe like another blind man Jesus dealt with, you need a second touch for your eyes to be opened fully and to be walking in the light once again. 
If Jesus is the light of the world, darkness is a choice. Why spend one more day in an underground cave when you could be enjoying the light of life? Or maybe it's time for you to start being light to your own world. We didn't really get to talk about this, but this is the only one of the I am statements that Jesus turns around and applies to us. If Jesus is the good shepherd, we're just sheep. If Jesus is the true vine, we're just branches. But if Jesus is the light of the world, we are too. He said so himself in Matthew's gospel. You are the light of the world, he said. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do you light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Let your light so shine before people that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. If Jesus has brightened your world, it's time to let that light shine. What would it look like for you to be the light of your school or workplace or neighborhood? What would it look like for you to bring truth, to bring beauty, to bring goodness into the places you live and work and play? If Jesus is the light of the world, then we can be too. Well, as we did last week, uh, we'd like to allow ourselves a few moments to, to think about all of this, to let it sink in. So, so one of our worship leaders, Chris Bassett, is is going to share a song that he wrote following a, a season of darkness in his own life. So this is a song I wrote over the last few months about a dark time in my life when I was struggling with social anxiety and mental health issues. And it's about seeking and finding God and his light in the midst of darkness and desperation. This is Light the Way. Singing, Lord, 
will I boast in pride? How long will I live a lie? How long will I die inside? Help me, Lord, light the way. Singing, Lord, light the way. Singing, Lord, light the dark way. Singing, Lord, light the way. Help me, Lord, light the way. Singing, Help me. 